0: Uh, Evanescence. Uh, if
1: they sell first album. Season. Hell yeah.
0: Bring Me to Life, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Evanescence still goes for sure. For sure. This is, we're not recording this, are we? You, have, you don't have me saying that Evanescence still goes on the recording? It's not a thing?
2: Yes. That's how I got my first thing, because he gave us packs
0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So
1: once again, no smoking in this theater. Your you is Did we Always get that part that ADR BBR. Do we
3: get the part where Evanescence still goes? Okay.
0: Good, to ABC, sure. always be casting.
2: You got main and Cody's Ooh, entire that's field notes been. conversation. It's
0: like Glengarry Glenn <laughs> Ross, but everybody notes, is like uh, even more DVC? pathetic than the people Great in that brand. film and making podcasts. Always be, be
3: co-listening to Evanescence.
2: Very overpriced, but worth it.
0: Yes.
3: Later.
2: <laughs> <Bye, Aaron. laughs> yeah. Shall we begin?
1: Yo, what up? This is a Saw we cast. See, we now? say our names, right? No.
2: Oh, my God. Can
1: we, we do episodes rock, rock
4: every yeah. uh, Saw installment? Um, I will curate
2: yeah. them Or we could record Fargo right now because we're yeah, paying all. for parking. Yeah, let's, parking parking. Parking. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm going to have
1: to go rehab
0: my parking. Okay, parking. okay. okay. Yeah.
1: This is a true podcast. events <laughs> depicted in this podcast oh, shit. <laughs> took place things. in Minnesota in 2019. at <laughs> The request of the survivors, the names have been changed out of respect for the pod. The rest has been told exactly as it occurred.
3: I'm Billy. You just said that. I was following up on I'm your I'm
2: Suzanne. Bit,
3: you get it? Do you get it now? Oh, yeah. Good to have
2: you here,
4: Suzanne. Uh, uh, my name is Lutefisk.
2: Good to have you, Lutefisk. Yeah, sure. I you?
1: was not I prepared for do this.
2: Do <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: Okay. Thank you for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast about movies we saw at the Trilon. Nobody likes that tagline, so I'm going to stick to it. Uh, I am Jason. I'm Emily. I'm Cody. I'm Harry. And I'm Aaron. Emily, this is your second time
2: with us on this podcast, right? Yes, it is.
1: So one more and you are a regular. One more and you're more important than John Mackin.
2: <laughs> wow. Oh, <laughs> shit. Wow.
1: I snapped my pen saying that out of pure <laughs> seething rage. Uh, today we're talking about Fargo, and Aaron wants to tell us what happens in this movie, so oh, we geez. have basis Awkward. for it. Right, uh, <laughs> I need to set this up.
0: What, Fargo's, uh, we have this with the thin man. It's just, there's a lot of shit that happens in this movie. We'll there's give us the set He said this gonna yeah. I mean,
3: set-up yeah. in a like, I, I I've got, like, 50 I words. Give me wrote, 10 seconds. I
1: wrote a 30-second introduction in my fucking head. Do you want me to just let no, it out, or I got you, you want okay. Far- to you keep your throne here? When we
3: riffed off that introduction, he took it like a champ, and we just
0: really <laughs> went for it. Yeah, we did. Uh, Fargo is a 1996 film directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Uh, William H. Macy stars along with Francis McDormand. Uh, William H. Macy stars as Jerry Lundegaard. He is a car salesman in Minneapolis, who has, who due to certain uh, financial debts, set up a plot to kidnap his wife in order to get money from her wealthy father. Uh, Francisco McDormand plays the police chief assigned to the case. Um, from that plot to kidnap uh, Jerry's wife comes murder, betrayal, uh, and a, a shocking amount of violence in a kind of quiet, uh, nice, just real happy uh, Midwestern town that doesn't deserve any of this. So the plot It's a real fiasco. The, yeah. It's a good. I like that. No one no else gets it, gets it, it but I okay. got it, so it's fine. Uh, the,
3: the tabletop role-playing game Fiasco was essentially based off the plot of this movie. They like, oh. nearly come right out and say it. I think they say Coen Brothers movies.
1: Coen, so if
3: you're yeah. a fan of Fiasco, you should watch Fargo, but everyone who's ever played Fiasco has yeah, seen Fargo. Yeah, what kind of
1: audience <laughs> is there that's not a perfect circle? Yeah. Uh, Aaron, if you want to like, yep. either move that mic or keep your mouth in front of it rather than a guide,
0: Just to the side. I usually speak yeah. to the side of the mic. <laughs> I don't want to bring my whole energy into the I microphone. at once. my you
1: know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He is from Minneapolis. Yeah, he's on day, shout Shoutouts. Speaking yep. of from Minneapolis, uh, the Cohen brothers, they're from St. Louis Park here in Minnesota. Uh, they are Minneapolis natives. They grew up here uh, yeah, for you a lot of their life. Can we not? Okay, can we? No, we no,
1: gotta establish no, no, no. I'm going to sh- shut you down on that. Most people in here are from Minnesota, correct?
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, three-fifths. Yeah. Three
0: fifths. I mean, exactly. I, I didn't. I wasn't You're born in Minnesota, but uh, oh. I wasn't born it's in Minnesota, but I've lived most of my life in Minnesota, so I'll cons- I'll round up and yeah, I'm Minnesotan.
1: I'm I moved here from Indiana. I'm not from Minnesota From uh, Illinois. From uh, Michigan. From born in Ohio. Moved to Kentucky. Moved to Louisiana. Moved back to Kentucky. <laughs> moved to Michigan. Florida. <coughs> Emily's paying for parking. We should not take this long to do what in we're Indiana? doing. <laughs> my point is, let her rip. Do not hold yourself back. If yeah, there's you a
2: I consider myself an honorary Minnesotan at this point. I moved here in 2010, but I'm originally from Wisconsin, which I don't like to talk about. I you like to consider it. myself a Minnesotan.
1: Okay. So... Four out of five people in the room are Minnesotans. <laughs>
2: How long does
0: it take before you just get drafted into whatever state you live in? You know what I mean? Is it like five years and then you're like,
1: you're you're There's Minnesotan. a board of
0: review process,
3: okay.
1: uh, and I have not submitted mine yet. I've been here three and a half years, minus the internship that I had back in 2014.
3: How much hot dish have you consumed? Zero. <laughs> yeah,
0: zero. How many times have you made fun of uh, Packers fans in your local office? I don't give a shit. Okay, well, it sounds like he's not Minnesotan. do not I don't know.
2: trying.
3: I'm really. Do you do
0: you, you have a couple a,
2: extra years to go, then. <laughs> do
4: you often use a water fountain? Uh, That is a shout-out to Bubblers.
1: Bubblers. Bubblers. The Milwaukee
2: area.
3: He's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So I'm a first-generation Minnesotan. Shout-out to Harry's mom. Shout-out to Harry's
1: mom. Harry's mom was very good in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh,
4: They say, uh, yeah, reportedly, 181 times in this movie. I think we could match that within this episode. Yeah? uh, If we really try. Yeah?
1: Um, So this movie is, is... like notable for having introduced the rest of America to sort of a lot of these Minnesotan-isms, Minnesota like Northern Midwest-isms the vowel shift, the overt niceness and like seething underbelly of hatred Massive and rage piles that ag- of actually exists yeah. yeah the,
0: yeah.
1: Of shit.
2: the uh, passive-aggressive repression that's extreme going on extreme
0: <laughs> passive-aggressiveness
4: um, yep. the indirect way of speaking and talking circles about nothing
0: yeah, the Minnesota nice, uh, yes, Minnesota yes. nice is the phrase that I guess kind of sums up uh, a lot of these people, and you know most of the people in this movie uh, who are at least from Minnesota, like kind of actually are nice. Um, there's this kind of this idea of like these kind of horrors from outside of Minnesota kind of moving in, uh, and that that's a terrible take, is it?
3: Yeah, <laughs> is it? All of the hate and rage in this movie comes squarely from William H Macy's character, let's, uh, the Minnesota. Sure let's
1: let's table that. And Fargo, I didn't need to come in so hot. I think we, should, I think we just start with <laughs> things we table. actually like about this movie. I mean, everybody who is, who's listening to this has probably seen Fargo. Most of our, all of our audience is Minnesota-based, so it's like, there's no <laughs> chance. <laughs> all people, five of them. <laughs> thank you, five loyal listeners that I can't identify because Spotify and Apple I don't Spotify think any any of them are
3: loyal. I think they're mostly
0: sort of <laughs> on and off. The the cut, cut, yeah. So yeah. cut all of this out. No, <laughs> oh, they're talking about Fargo. Um, I like everything about this movie. This movie. Is, this is a five out of five for you. Uh, it is for me. There's 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 stuff in it that I don't love necessarily as much. But far, as far as like just watching a good movie, I don't. I've probably seen this movie ten times. There's not a lot that I would say I get out of this movie watching it these days. But in terms of just like watching a good movie, not many more better good movies than Fargo. It's sort um, of one of those
3: things where you've seen it so many times yeah. and uh, for so long that you don't really have an analytical uh, perspective on it yeah I was kind of that way with uh old oh brother where art thou uh, sure. different oh brothers yeah you' were movies. talking about this I've last seen night. that movie so many times since I was a kid, and so sort of similarly where it's like I don't know if I can critique that movie in the same way I could critique uh most movies that I see
0: now um when was the that. first time you saw this movie high school for sure okay. yeah i mean I, I start I think Coen brothers were maybe like the filmmakers that were like, oh, I should start getting more into movies. Like, oh, I remember oh, uh, there, uh, not there will be blood um, No Country for Old Men was one of the first, like, movies I watched. It was like, this is a good movie. Like, oh, I should start watching more movies. So, um, yeah. I don't, a lot of a lot of the Coen Brothers movies are that way, where I like them, but I don't necessarily get too much from them when I re-watch them at this point.
1: and this was
2: the first time I ever watched Fargo
1: okay, that'll be an interesting perspective to dig into Uh, just going clockwise, Harry Uh, I
3: watched this movie for the first time a couple years ago, Um, I've seen it a few times since then, I have it on DVD I'm looking at the DVD (laughs) right now Uh, I don't know why that's particularly relevant it's Um, a a visual
1: medium, so yes
3: I've had a lot of feelings about this movie, I didn't like it very much the first time I saw it Um, I like it a lot more now a few years ago, um, I can't remember when I think I was in college um, I uh, I think it's a, a masterpiece now. I don't know if I love it a lot, but I have complicated feelings about it that I guess we can talk about on this podcast eventually, if it comes up.
1: Okay.
4: Um, I didn't grow up watching this movie a lot. I've seen it a handful of times in full. I think this is the first time I had seen Fargo, maybe since college. Um, and I I have vague recollection of this feeling more and more taught each time i i go through it uh, which feels kind of like something that is not necessarily an attribute of a lot of uh, not that i've seen all of the Cohen brothers work at this point but it feels very kind of anti what their normal shtick is um which i don't know that's something that i dig a lot um it's I don't know. On Letterboxd, I gave this a, a four and a half out of five. Um, it's a great review, too. You should check out Cody's review on Letterboxd.
0: It was very good. Yeah. Um,
4: it, there are a few things that sit kind of uh, weirdly, which um, again, being a different person now than I was in college, um, those are kind of new things that rose to the surface. Um, I'm sure they're similar to what Harry is thinking about, so we'll probably get into those. But well, yeah, it's really still something
1: of I of like ones. a ton. What? We only really need one of you in this room then, right? Yeah. Oh, nice. Hey, I'll see you uh, guys. Hey. <laughs> bye. He's going to Runyon's.
2: <laughs> oh, bye there. <laughs> I'm leaving.
0: That wasn't very much so an exit of you.
2: <laughs> I guess I interjected because I didn't know we were going around in a, in the circle. But this oh, is yes. f- we
4: didn't. That's Jason's fault.
2: <laughs> this is the first and only time I've seen Fargo. Um, I've only seen like two other Coen Brothers movies, one that we might talk about later. Um, so I think I have... I don't know, more of a newbie perspective on this movie. Uh, overall, I would say four stars out of five. Nice. Um, That's solid. Like, visually, it's not super exciting to me. It's really minimal, and you have a lot of barren landscapes and a lot of white space, and mm-hmm. it's like it's pretty in that way, but it, I like more of a visually impactful, like colorful type of movie, or in the other movie, very nice black and white. So it kind of falls in between that realm that's why i wouldn't give it a higher rating but i like the storyline there's a lot of blood which is i'm not always into violent movies either but in general yeah four out of five stars does the blood
1: work for you in this movie or is it kind of a detractor
2: I think it's purposeful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you find it funny at all? Because some of the scenes of
0: violence are also, like, very darkly comedic, um, which is something that, for a lot of their films, I kind of started finding them maybe even a little bit funnier. Mm -hmm. But in, like, the darkest way
1: possible. I think I'm there with you, and it kind of touches at what I was... It's a very, like, basic way to look at the movie, but I did enjoy how it mixes that humor and darkness violence at the same time. Uh, I guess since... Was that the end of what you wanted to say about what you liked about the movie well
2: i have something to add now that you're going into the violence realm Mm -hmm. um i watched the fargo minnesota nice documentary but right before coming here and they had all the actors in the coen brothers talking about the movie mostly about the setting but they did mention the screen violence is almost balletic like a ballet Ah. um and then that was francis mcdermott that said that and the Whoever the, the main guy is, I forget his name. William, no, H. H. William Macy. H. Macy. William H. Macy said "It's the violence is funny sometimes, but you're laughing out of discomfort. That's, so.
1: that's true. Uh, the I often laugh at
3: William H. Macy out of discomfort. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Hey>. uh, the <laughs> moment that sticks out of my head for that, to exemplify that, is when, actually on the parking ramp, Minneapolis Club, just a block from our building right now, <laughs> when uh, Steve Buscemi's character shoots um, Gene's dad, and he falls down with an, oh jeez.
4: Yeah, that's probably the funniest. <laughs> that is this like a really long drawn out O, oh, right? Like yeah. like he's timbering down. Yeah.
0: The oh. It's you also just you love jeez. to see
4: that guy
3: get shot. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you, you love to see it. I love to see that guy get shot.
1: Yeah. Uh, but it's like it's a little bit at that point anyway. It becomes bloodier later. But at that point, you just see like a puff of down coming from his yes. jacket, also, yeah. signifies where he's been shot. Yeah. Uh, and he's just like, he just leans back into the snow on top of this parking lot. It's it's a great shot, and like that summarizes. There are a lot more like iconic shots where uh, either they're stuffing um, uh, Steve Buscemi's body into the wood chipper, or almost any other like even like the wet, um, dirty scene where the cop goes out to ask uh, about where the whereabouts right, of those two men. Right, the first
3: casualty, which is maybe this uh most frightening to me uh when peter stormier just grabs the cop from across steve buscemi and just blows his head off like in an instant Mm -hmm. and it was really fast and it's really impactful how fast that happens uh for me i i like that scene a lot because it's
4: the um the beginning of the film is largely um uh Carl and uh, Geyer, um, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare's characters, respectively, kind of their um, trajectory uh, up to the point where we get uh, kind of a very distinctly lit car scene um, leading up to the act of violence that Harry mentioned. And once that sequence is over, we kind of get into um, Marge Gunderson's role in this movie, and we juxtapose very vividly and intentionally into uh, again just looking at the dvd cover right now this white backdrop um snow sky everything melding together and the only real splashes of color you see are from i you know the people themselves and then also the blood that's smattered in the snow yeah the
3: the red on white is like probably the most prominent visual motif of the movie right is that like there's a like a white wasteland like emily said and then um Really distinct, vibrant red colors against that wasteland. Whether it's the uh, um, the ice, what do you call that? Ice pick. It's, it's not a ice. scraper. <laughs> like the scraper. The car I, scraper. I would yeah. scrape uh, ice pick right away too. We're bad <laughs> I, guess. I have an ice scraper right now. What, what, what a are a those
2: axes yeah. you use to scrape Some your <laughs> car <laughs> with?
0: <laughs> I rent.
2: <laughs> I rent too. I don't
1: have a fucking garage. That sucks to
0: suck, dude. I don't know
2: in the bonus feature which i will talk about this entire episode they said yeah. that this was one of the warmest winters in minnesota or in That's minneapolis kind of in, in minneapolis so they had to make snow at night because there was just not really? enough snow during the day to I, film around i totally <laughs> feel that
4: like the um when they bury the spoiler alert they bury a briefcase and money oh i said spoiler alert thought, oh. was funny. um <laughs> by god like there is very like there's no there's not enough snow clearly to bury this briefcase and then i like it's like they cut away there's a a hole yeah yeah, there's this hole (laughs) so i totally believe that they were just like severely lacking in winter weather and accessories being the snow
0: yeah it's kind of funny that the the central location for this movie is is minneapolis um yet you get the feeling that it doesn't feel like Minneapolis, or at least like it feels like Minneapolis suburbs, maybe. Yeah, more than it does I, th- I think that they're taking like a, and, and this is something that we, being
3: Minneapolis natives, are uh, specially equipped to critique. But they're definitely taking like a movie's definition of Minneapolis, right? Where it's like Minneapolis by way of the entire metro area. It's like Chicago, where it stretches out for miles. Yeah, and miles. it's so like in Bloomington really or Brooklyn Park. Yeah, or yeah. Eden Prairie or they China. talk about the yeah, yeah a lot.
1: Um, there the one shot and i've only been here three years so uh you know censor me if needed but the one shot that like actually resonated with me about minneapolis is when um is it carl and Guerre
2: are driving in, yeah, uh, driving yeah, in I they're on, they're
1: on they I-35? 35 right? yeah. 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 yeah yeah and that's like the ride I-, I
2: took to get here Yeah, <laughs> exactly right
1: and it's very iconic like the uh, sky's iconic in as much as like compared to other Skylines and nobody knows who what it Dreary is, Dreary and frankly. shady and it reminds you of
3: home. Iconically
1: so. <laughs> uh,
4: to couple that, I I just hear Carl speaking from your mouth. He's a wow, ah, look at that.
3: The Twin Cities. Steve <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Buscemi's character, uh, I relate to quite a bit
1: in this movie. Like do you think he's the most Minnesotan-esque character of this movie? This he's Steve he's, he's, he's from North Dakota, but like, the is most realistic? I don't know if he's
3: from anywhere in the movie, right? Isn't he sort of like a drifting criminal? <laughs>
1: He's introduced in Fargo, so yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just assuming that he and Guyer I mean, Guyer has a very thick That's Irish true. or Scottish accent no, of some he's, kind? No,
3: uh, he's definitely... Like Norwegian. Norwegian, yeah. No. Like Peter Stormare. Scottish? I can be what racist against doing? white people, it's okay. Straight blonde, he looks like the fucking witcher, He's Peter Stormare!
1: <laughs> he doesn't sound like Peter Stormare, though. He's doing like a really strong accent. But he's
3: fucking yeah. Peter Stormare! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Mic drop is the, over here. Nice, yeah.
2: <laughs> so
0: we should quickly mention that the, the two characters we were just talking about, Steve Buscemi's character and Peter Stormare's character, they are the... Uh, I don't know. They're not really... They're not intentionally hitman, but they are the kidnappers that uh, William H. Macy's character hires to kidnap his wife. Um, they're... It's kind of like this this weird comedy. Peter Stormare plays. Uh, he's is it Gaier? Is that how it's Gaier
3: Grimsrud, which is a famous good name. Irishman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: eat my Minnesotan
0: <laughs> shit. You know the Grims-Rude, uh whiskey that's named after him. Shut um, the fuck up and talk. <laughs> uh, you know he's kind we of like EJ, the so silent strong type. Uh, Steve Buscemi plays like just the. Biggest wimp, you know what I mean, in the world. Like, I kind of compare them actually a lot to William H Macy's character. They are equally equally cowardly.
3: Their they ways. both
0: represent this movie's sort of thesis on masculinity, <laughs> uh,
1: which yeah. is pretty strong and like a probably yes. topic for later on because we're sure. really dig uh, into it in terms of like
0: the oh yeah the you
1: betcha <laughs>
0: um yeah go on I'm sorry. yeah I was can I if I can bring up a question.
1: Point of discussion. Uh, you just did. I will vote. I will vote. O- open to vote. Uh, raise your hand if you think Aaron should be able to suggest a question. Okay, that's majority takes it. And his majority uh, takes it. Unfortunately, I was gonna say.
0: So I've I've met a lot of people who were even born here, uh, who maybe take a bit of an issue with this film, and they're not. You know, they may like the movie, but they they maybe think that the portrayal of Minnesotans is like a definitely exaggerated stereotype that it is not really accurate, you know, especially the wow. accent, the Minnesota nice. I was just wondering if we found that accurate in the film. They
2: talk about that in the bonus feature oh. Ooh, that still. a lot of people had talked to the actors and said, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't really like how portray. I don't really appreciate the way you've about us, I gotta say.
1: <laughs> That's very <really> good.
2: Um, <laughs> I lost it. Cause... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Harry.
1: Now yeah, you're the one. I enemy.
2: lost it completely.
0: <laughs> also, did we find it accurate? I. Uh,
1: to Minnesota, or I guess you was
0: the newest person.
2: Accurate to Minnesota, yeah. I mean,
1: I can't really say I haven't spent too much time outside of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. I mean, like the further you get from downtown, the more you start to recognize those actual signifiers of like again the vowel shift and sort of that um, that uh, dead mask of happiness that most people seem to wear. But like when you're actually downtown, I almost never hear outside of like old people in service positions. Well, you I almost f- never hear the accent. I, d- I almost never get that vibe from people. It's like it's like any other plain Midwestern town in terms of like its people I mean, and the way that they speak. At least in, in my experience,
2: the accents in this movie are more like northern Minnesota. Exactly. I would say, and that's like what Duluth. I
1: mean. Yeah, when they when you bring up whether or not like it's a good representation of Minnesota, m- like maybe because March's I
0: is from Bemidji, right? So yeah that that is a Bemidji ass character, for yeah sure. Yeah. Frances
2: McDermott had a dialect coach, and she said their di- her dialect coach was awesome because it, she worked more with like the character's dialect. Rather than the technique of having like a Minnesotan accent. Oh, nice. So, kind of, like from. Where
4: are you getting this information from? Oh, again? From I'm the so bonus sorry.
2: feature on the Fargo oh. DVD that Harry lent me.
4: What, what was that bonus feature called again? It's
2: called Minnes- Minnesota Nice Documentary. Wow, Minnesota Nice. Check it out on the Fargo DVD. Are you doing a bit?
4: What was that? <laughs> I, I want to make sure, because uh, this sounds awesome but and I
2: want to oh. watch it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it had the cadence of a bit. So yeah, it yeah like I'm really, really sorry. sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> that
1: sounds like the way to do it then, is rather than like teach uh francis mcdormand how to make minnesotan sounds Mm. like define the character first learn the character first hear the character's head in your in your in your hear the character's Mm -hmm. voice in your head and then like coach somebody into like matching that right i assume
2: francis also said like her character is obviously from this lineage of minnesota people like it's all it's all in her family so there's a pride to that for her character um, uh, when that it comes across yeah
3: that's uh that's a really good character bit too because that really fits in with her her character's sort of thematic framing uh, uh, i think
1: yeah i uh we spoke a little bit about this yeah. about whether or not um, about how marge's character is actually like positioned and portrayed throughout this movie and how it shifts or doesn't shift by the end um, that sounds like something deep like did, did anybody else have any like other uh, shotgun thoughts uh, about you brought before up, we dive into like the bigger ideas? i don't really
3: know that i Um, Maybe I'm betraying my minnesota this here, but I didn't have a problem necessarily with specifically Minnesota-based condescension. Um, I think that this movie is a little bit condescending in general. Uh, That's kind of a controversial or maybe a hot take, uh, and I might be reading the the Coen brothers themselves into it a little bit too much. It also, like, weirdly works into a, uh, a broader and really probably ignorant criticism I have of, like, Particular formulations of uh, Buddhism that I think this movie uh, traffics in. Let's go!
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm weird about Who it, here is an sorry. expert in Buddhism?
2: I like Buddhism, I'm not an expert.
3: I took one Eastern religion class in community college. That's Let's fucking uh, <laughs> <laughs> down Shout outs to North Hennepin Community College if I'm going to reestablish my <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota credentials.
1: Uh, tell me. If you're going to take that view of it, can you like quickly summarize what what that means? How how you apply that lens to this movie? So the
3: second noble truth of Buddhism. <laughs> <that Buddha came laughs> One semester with, of each
1: Eastern religion
3: uh, is called Sumudaya, uh, and it means that the origin of suffering of all suffering in the world comes from desire. Its root is in desire. Um, I think that this movie is like a case study for how that plays out, uh, and it, it's it's sort of a. How does the how does the movie start? It's you shouted it out earlier, but it says it's based on true events that happened in Minnesota in 1987. 1987
2: that are not true which at is all. Bullshit. It's not true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's complete
3: <laughs> bullshit. But it's it, it's important that it's framed that way, right? Because like what they're saying is that like this is like to me Fargo represents like a case study, uh, a singular case that sort of encapsulates the whole, and it's like a, a thesis on how crime happens or how evil sort of unfolds in reality. And it you I think it, it subverts a lot of assumptions about good and bad right and wrong and like good and evil sort of um, and it, it's it's sort of central thesis is this idea that like in my opinion crime crime and like suffering don't come from uh, a sort of like supernatural evil or like a, a natural people naturally these dis- dis- the predisposed towards hate but instead it, it comes from really like base pathetic impulses mm-hmm. william h macy wanting to be more than he is wanting to be respected by his father-in-law wanting to be respected by his wife he's the sort of pathetic conniving character who really wants to be respected and is is trying to do anything he can to attain that
1: very very minnesotan of his character by the way yeah begging to be Thanks. taken seriously uh, <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, um, uh, and I, I think that,
3: that Steve Buscemi's character, uh, whose name I don't remember, also represents oh, that, represents a different sort of formulation or codification of that. And even Peter Stormare's character does, even though it looks like he's not at first. Mm-hmm. I think Peter Stormare is supposed to represent, like Aaron said, this sort of like almost Anton Chigurh type like, unknowable evil from the outside. Cohen Brothers have a lot of that. Yeah, that yeah. William H. Macy's character brings in. Um, anyway, I've been talking to Well, long. do you
1: think that those characters then, and I guess this is for the table, that those characters are made specifically that way and in specifically this space? Like, do you think it's just coincidental or that it's just the Cohen saying, like, it'd be neat mm-hmm. if this story were set in the Twin Cities metro area because we're from there and, like, this is a story that could happen anywhere? Or do you think that is, like, so uniquely Minnesotan and that these are, like, very specially channeled characters to, like, represent and embody that?
2: I get the sense that the Coens are not very proud of being from Minnesota, um, even just in what they talked about with this kind of question. And the bonus feature... <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> Sorry,
0: the bonus feature for what?
2: For Fargo. The movie Fargo. On the DVD. Okay, yeah. what's it called? Um, It's called Minnesota Nice. I'm okay. only going to... That's the last <laughs> time I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> <Fucking> um, <is. laughs> but, yeah, they don't seem to, like... I don't know they don't seem to be so proud of the area so Mm -hmm. much as they're like using it as a setting to tell the story of like toxic masculinity essentially
3: Uh, i think it's it's sort of both right uh i think that that definitely um i think that it was very pointed to set this in fargo uh or in minnesota the name of the movie is fargo i think that a big portion of the sort of ego and resentment that drives these characters is wanting to be elsewhere, even physically. I think Fargo and Minnesota as physical spaces are representative of this sort of like interior wasteland that these people want to escape from. Uh, it's very Coen Brothers. We were talking a little bit before the podcast, Aaron, about the Coenverse, but uh there, there's the this Cohen Cinematic Universe. Yeah, exactly. The Cohen Cinematic Universe. And the, the sort of like driving impulse of people in the Cohen Cinematic Universe is sort of like this fallen paradise motif where it's like these are people who have lost something and they're lost themselves because mm-hmm. of it and they're looking to get it back and they don't know how to do it but they're looking for answers to quote ulysses
1: Everett mcgill from oh brother where art though well how does that jive with the idea then that suffering is born of desire if it's just like they lost something
3: it's desire to escape from from, from they what are. they lost it's uh i think any uh original I'm sorry Buddha in his teachings it's a uh, desire to of becoming and unbecoming so the desire of unbecoming is as important as the desire for becoming mm-hmm. and it's unbecoming what you think you are the definitions that that reign over your life that define and delimit your uh, understanding of yourself um, I, I think that, that Fargo as a character in a space is like really like domineering in this movie in that like you can't escape from it and these people are desperate to. Uh, there are so many good shots of like, at, at the end Peter Stormare is being driven back into Bemidji after he's arrested and he looks up and he sees the big fucking leering Paul Bunyan statue <laughs> smiling that's at such him. Such a good shot. he looks it at is. it and he just grimaces and it's like, and then it goes by and it says, welcome to Bemidji and it's like, you're back, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> yeah, Paul Bunyan is like the gatekeeper to hell. Yeah, like,
1: exactly. <laughs> Have we been saying Bemidji because that's Brainerd?
2: Is it? just edit all of the dimensions out and, <laughs> hey, and turn them into who Brainerd's. cares? hey let's Cohen brothers they're kind of to look s- at it. interchangeable right
4: if we all wow. say <laughs> Brainerd, uh, like an independent timestamps here we can like you jason you can use those to like overlay yeah videos. absolutely yeah. for sure he loves <laughs> doing more editing work. <laughs> <has
1: it? laughs> um no i i i'm there with you yeah uh, i feel like so I'm this,
3: dominating this i'm sorry go
2: this go paul bunyan figure yeah you think he might be representative of something
4: I really only thought like at the end of citing the, the scene that Harry referred to there um, like Guyer Grooms Rudy I uh, like I imagine him looking up and he's, he's like oh back to this shit again you're looking at as, and Paul Bunyan is kind of and I guess this environment is set up in that way similarly there's a great shot in like uh like the first act uh, where it's I think it may be actually to think of it when carl showwalter and Guy and are driving to Brainerd, and it's like a shot of the dark sky and then we pan down and it's paul bunyan's evil ass looking
1: face. Leering, like uh, there's a great musical thing is? there too yeah. This grin? yeah yeah it's uh it's very good
0: um there is a so just to connect a little bit to what harry was saying about the the desire to want to kind of Becoming and unbecoming, be- become someone someone other than who you are, and kind of this hate for yourself. Um, the I think the the movie does such a good job of setting up uh, Jerry Lundegaard as such like a piece of shit, but also
3: it's amazing. Yeah,
0: kind of you kind of feel bad for the guy a little bit, and that the movie purposefully sets him up to always be in the worst situation. Um, there's a scene where he goes to propose a kind of like a business deal to his wife's father and uh, his business partner, and when he walks What's in the his room. Business I don't know. What's I can't remember. What, what was that guy's name? Oh, you, you don't remember? It's a <clears throat> Stan Grossman. Stan Grossman. Oh, I actually forgot about that. <laughs> oh, I You that forgot too.
3: about your father?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Him and Rex, I guess. Shout uh, out to Stan Grossman who is listening to this episode. <laughs> My father is being filled up, son. but thank you. Um, but he goes into the meeting, and it's, and it's in just like this business office, and his his wife's father is sitting behind a desk, and his uh, Stan Grossman, I guess, is sitting in a chair. And when he walks in, there is purposely no chair for him to sit in. Like uh-huh. there's like this little seating area over in the corner, but all the chairs are facing in like a different direction. And so he just like awkwardly sits on like the arm of a chair for this entire meeting, <laughs> and it's like. The movie like purposely sets him up to be like, dude, you ain't shit. Like, Yeah, and also like,
3: uh, is it Wade Gustafson is his father in law? Yes. Yes. He's like one of the great shitty businessmen of all time in cinematic history. Like, man, I fucking hate that guy. He just like, he has money and he thinks that the fact that he has money means that he's a genius and he can do no wrong.
1: Well, and it's exemplified really well by like when he gets the ransom, when finally the ransom comes through and Gene, uh, Jerry's husband or wife, has been kidnapped. And then they demand a million dollars from her father. Again, this Walt? Walt. Uh, Walt. Gustafson? I think
2: it's
1: Bemidji. How are you out-try-loving the rest of the try-love crew? God damn it. Uh, but as soon as he gets notificat- notice from Jerry that, like, hey, we need to give them a million dollars or they're going to kill your daughter, he's like... Let's offer them $500,000. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's offer
3: them half a gross, Grossman even says, like, we're not horse trading here. We way. don't have all the. Car- like, and he's talking about his daughter, like, their daughter. <laughs> his daughter. Yeah. It is great. Uh, yeah, uh, being a cheapskate and really caring about money is a prevailing motif in this movie, in particularly Minnesota. for men in this no. movie um, in Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> Carl, Steve Buscemi's character is also like a notorious cheapskate. I think by the end of the movie, he ends up killing somebody over $4. uh, And he's eventually killed over $5,000 or something. Half the the value of of that Sierra. Of a tanned Sierra, yeah, a burnt orange, I think maybe. Burnt umber. Um, Burnt umber, thank you. (laughs) Uh, What was I going to say? I was going to follow it up. Well, if you're not going to say uh, anything. William H. Macy's character, um, go ahead. No, no, right. He was, was gonna, gonna change the subject.
1: I was gonna change the subject, but if you've got something to continue on, please. Well, I mean like
3: I think William H. Macy's character Jerry Lundegaard is like the central character of this movie, maybe even more so than
1: um Marge. Maybe yeah. unfortunately. Marge doesn't
3: appear until the second act of the movie. Yeah, the thirty fourth minute, yeah. Yeah. He is, oh, yeah, like he he is
1: yeah. the A plot, right? I mean Marge is not a side character, she is a main character. This movie is this movie an ensemble film? Or does it give enough attention to each character that it's like this is like there's a lead
4: i feel like through the tv adaptation of this movie shout out to the tv show fargo which rules uh gradually gradually becomes more of an ensemble work Mm -hmm. um not to say that the movie was trying to be an ensemble um given this story i don't think it necessarily has any reason to be more of an ensemble than it already is um but the focus should be on marge and jerry right
3: yeah i think marge is the uh protagonist for sure she has the character arc that you and I talked about before the podcast mm-hmm. um, which would be cool to get into but um, it's just interesting that Je- Jerry Lundegaard is, is I think the movie's central thesis right like it's I think that his ego is the instigating incident or like instigates the incident I should say
1: can, um, uh, hold on to that thought can we do we ever know why he's in deep like what he what he did to get in deep That uh, wasn't
2: clear to me and I've only watched it once. So, so he sure. I mean
0: I think it's like heavily implied it's some sort of like gambling debt or something similar to that. Yeah, I assume he's in with a
1: loan shark or something. He, he
0: put up his collateral a bunch of cars from the dealership he works at. Uh, that was like the phone conversation he's having he
1: about the illegible uh, VINs. Right. They're not re-
0: they're not real cars or they're the cars right. just on
3: he's the lot which
1: okay. he, has he has not own.
0: Until he can get the money uh, from the lot deal,
3: which is also a, his lot deal is also important because he He's literally trying to buy land he's trying to like carve out a space for himself there's like a colonial metaphor there <laughs> uh, in my opinion especially with how important space is in this movie um and like like physical space the idea that he's trying to build a lot and he wants it to be his lot he's saying this is my deal uh what's the father-in-law's name
0: wade Stand. wade, wade, wade. S- stop it <laughs> bemidji
1: <laughs> <laughs> I.
2: But yeah, Lundegard is a heel in this movie, and it doesn't change. at, I don't think at any point. No, <laughs> well, that brings
1: up one of my favorite points. Like Marge uh, has, like, a, I believe, great character development through this movie over the course but of it. Suck. anyway.
2: Oh, we so. got to talk
3: about Marge. Yeah. yeah, we argued about it, so it is definitely subtle.
1: I think it's worth talking about, though. And Jerry strictly does not. Like, he's just a ratty shit the entire movie. And you're like, you're right. He's just a constant heel.
3: Yeah, almost like ego. Perverts development, right? And leads to re becoming on the endless reincarnation cycle.
0: So, t- you I are say. right. You are right. I'm not following
3: this. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> do you want to get into Marge, though? If you,
3: if you have one yeah. desire to, to do it, it sounds forever, like
0: want- uh,
3: you'll never advance. It's a metaphor for personal growth.
1: It sounds like we want to talk about Marge, though. And about Marge. Yes. What do you like about Marge? Tell me about Marge. Who's Marge?
2: Uh, <laughs> Marge is Francis McDermott did cody just say marge is in charge yes that's not
1: that's not Country of the ghost of scott Mayo.
2: um but Frances McDermott was talking about how when she initially read the screenplay she was like okay Mar- for marge like a midwestern cop like this isn't that interesting to me like i don't i'd rather play a psychopath a killer or a whore um <laughs> and she said but then she realized there was a little more meat to it and or no Sorry, she she wanted a character with more meat to it than this initial reading, and then she realized as they got into the process of making the movie how much fun it was going to be to play Marge, um, and I thought that was interesting. That yeah.
1: is a really good point. Imagine being the Coen Brothers, and they're a few movies into their like lauded career by this point, right? Uh, but like imagine being anybody but them and trying to sell like top tier talent on hey come to where it's colder than shit and be these really basic, like, non-superhero characters not a, what was it, a, a horror or a whatever she wanted. A psychopath to, or a killer a psychopath she would
2: rather a play? play. I mean, to be
3: fair, she had been married to Joel for 13 years by the time this
0: movie came out. I know, you know, know what kind of, of movies you <laughs> make, motherfucker. <laughs> mother <fucker. laughs> makes Which me
3: a makes psychopath. it makes it even funnier that, that she's like, I don't know about this one, Joel. <laughs> my husband. She's like, reading it. She's like, I don't know about this She's like, yeah, this
2: one's not that <laughs> interesting, but... I might just but... pass on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And she had been in a number of Cohen films before this. Uh, she was in their their first film. Bud Simple. Uh, Shout yeah. to Blood this is very a very great good movie, movie. Uh, one of the best directorial debuts for, for,
3: for sure brother,
1: though
2: but yeah she was ta- uh James. francis was also talking about how she did not realize or and none of them realized the impact that marge's character was going to have um for people that there was like a need for this type of character at the time especially mm-hmm. it's like have this a, matriarch. very competent
3: female uh i'm sorry
2: <laughs> like a matriarchal character to steer everyone in more of the right direction to solve things and help these flailing toxic masculine characters mm-hmm.
1: or arrest them when you be well yeah or arrest Har- them to harry's point she is like there's that scene in which she's in not the scene where she's introduced but her first investigation where the cop is introducing her to the rest of the crime scene where the uh two people who were in that car that um gundar Gundam. Uh, they ran off the road. They Gundam, found them the next I Gundam. I think it's Bemidji.
0: Gaier. Gaier, Grimmsrude, and Showalter. My favorite
1: cheese. Uh, but in that scene, it's a great like introductory where she's actually acting, acting is because the other cop. Is just like standing at the roadside holding the coffee, and she's like actually doing shit. She's actually like discovering what happened. She's actually detecting shit.
2: She's like hold my coffee while I solve all your stupid ass problems.
1: And and yet that little moment of humanity where she like bends over and he's like, "What do you see
2: out there, Mark?" She's like, "No,
1: I I think I'm just gonna puke." (laughs) Oh, it's just morning sickness. Man, she's so good.
2: Yeah, she's pregnant while she's doing this entire murder crime investigation
0: um not to bring up. i'm gonna bring up a roger ebert review is everybody okay with that i don't know i understand yeah Uh, do we want to talk about margin norm first yeah let's talk about margin
2: first so francis called them an amazing unit which i agree with (laughs) 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 this perfect couple not perfect couple but they're a midwestern couple that's seen as like very simplistic but they work together so well like they have this nice balanced relationship um what's his what's his name again
1: Norm. i keep forgetting his name
2: is norm uh he like cooks her breakfast when she has to wake up early in the morning she supports him in the stamps of some sort he's a
3: painter and he's painting uh for a stamp contest the winner of the painting is going to be a painting on a stamp
1: he's painting birds right
2: self-depreciating about being accepted into this and she's the most Minnesotan (laughs) shit
1: ever i swear to god she's
2: very supportive of it and you just see them um as as Francis said, like this safe haven, which Joel and Ethan don't often create in their movies they de- the Cone brothers aren't usually giving people a safe place to hang out and relax Ooh. is what francis said
1: that's a good point
3: yeah uh, their relationship is really important to, to my reading too yeah um i hate to i did don't know why i said my reading i also interrupted uh emily wells she said matriarchal which is like the worst possible
1: <laughs> i'm gonna so clip that one and make it a that. twitter uh, cool. video yeah i love that <laughs> <laughs> um no it's it's oh was i was you, thinking, what's it no
3: yeah
4: uh, one thing uh, I was just going to quick chime in with. Um, I read somewhere, uh, I get all my facts from the IMDb trivia page. Um, for those who didn't know, uh, there was uh, the, the most um, upvoted or most like we found this useful comment was uh, Francis McDormand and John Carroll Lynch had created a backstory for themselves, apparently, mm. reportedly, for um, IMDb trivia. Allegedly? Alleg- yes. Uh, yeah. And um, It was uh, decided that both of them were cops. Both characters were cops uh, prior to this movie. But then um, Norm decided since Marge is the better cop, he's just going to stop being a cop. Yeah, and just like become a painter. I think for like familial reasons, maybe. Or uh, did you say
3: familial reasons?
4: Familial? Familial? Like the (laughs) fact that they're going to have a familia?
1: (laughs) I'm so glad that Mm -hmm. I got to see all these familial relations occur at the theater. (laughs) <laughs> trying to burn both of y'all. Some people have sex in, in the theater? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is the Trilon. It's a yeah. wild place. Wylon uh, at the Trilon? Whylon out.
0: I like how the movie deals with uh, her pregnancy. Uh, the Ebert review that I mentioned, he brought up that like a worse movie or a badly written movie would have used that pregnancy as like a main plot point Mm -hmm. Um, because like of course a pregnant character can't just be a character but she is pregnant and it is relevant to the themes um, but she is also just a character who is pregnant and it doesn't really apart from some movement stuff where she's like kind of walking maybe a little different um, it doesn't impact kind of the main plot for her
1: specifically it's almost easy to forget at times um, that she is like that her her character is pregnant anytime that she basically can't see her stomach or can't see her walking like, you, you'd be forgiven for forgetting that she's yeah. pregnant.
0: Um, and it is, you know, also resonant to kind of the main themes of the movie. I think there is this idea, we talked about a little bit earlier, of this kind of this generational theme of, like, kind of escaping or embracing your past. Um, you know, obviously, uh, William H. Macy's character is kind of in the shadow of the other side of his family, and he can't escape from it. And he, he, more he expectancy expectancy to
3: And that, that desperation to escape is what creates the sort of self loathing that makes him want to yeah, instigate this terrible thing that he starts. Yeah.
0: And you get the feeling that Marge's uh, uh, kid probably won't have those problems. Like, the, the re- main relationship between
1: uh, Francis McDormand and uh, what is. John Carroll Lynch. I'm so sorry, Cody. You were ready with that one chambered, and
4: I. I was really uh, slow, or like quick on the draw earlier, and then I. Slowly mm-hmm. got further away
0: from the mic, like I am right now. Yeah, uh, I just I like the relationship a lot. It's very sweet. Um, he makes her when he makes her the breakfast. He makes her like it is the most heaping plate of eggs and like meat that I've ever mm-hmm. seen. And then once she like finishes and starts going to work, he just kind of slides the plate over and starts finishing it. It's That's kinda a perfect
2: example of it, the actual Minnesota nice, yeah. right? Being supportive of your spouse and making them food when they have to wake up for an, an early shift that they yeah. weren't expecting to go to. Um, great great couple yeah, yeah one
1: of my favorite uh re- it's almost recurring it, the, the shot only happens twice but it's almost unique enough to notice the, that they're I- identical is when marge is awoken by a phone call in the middle of the night uh which actually is like 10 45 p.m it's the funniest fucking thing when mike calls and wakes her up and she's like do you know what time it is and he's like yeah it's 10 45 it's like quarter to 11 or sorry did i wake you and it's like course it's 10:45, and they're already dead asleep <laughs> uh but like there's a shot where she's on the phone for a long time holding it with her left hand ro- uh, like rolled on her right side and um norm's arm just comes and flumps over her <laughs> just in the cutest like yeah teddy bear fashion you don't see his face at all you just see his arm swoop over her and it's just the cutest thing it happens twice and it's like okay you know this is habit this is ritual these are characters who like exist outside of the like confines of the scene in these movies in this movie i really that was that's the defining uh, shot for me of their relationship is just how cute they
2: are yeah Frances McDermott was saying she just kind of went on about how much she loves their relationship um also their character relationship but she's like there's no mystery really to the to it but it's you can tell it's kind of based on real couples in the midwest and
1: yeah yeah they they do feel very real
3: yeah it's really intentional uh on both parts they they both have roles that they're committed to um in their relationship and it's there's a level of uh maturity and uh understanding and acceptance there that that provides a parallel to every other relationship in this movie which is defined by its Unwillingness to accept, mm-hmm. and its unwillingness <laughs> to um, to commit to a role uh, because they're always looking for something else or something more. Right, um,
1: contentment is something rarely seen in this movie, and it's really embodied in both Marge and Norm, um,
3: specifically in Marge, who uh, who also has the role of making Norm content. Um, the the final sort of denouement of this movie is Norm talking about how he's disappointed in how his painting performed because he got on the two-cent stamp instead of the 50-cent stamp. Three-cent, sorry.
0: Three-cent stamp instead of 29
1: Anyway, he got if the three-cent cent stamp. to be correct. This <laughs> <laughs> is it set
2: a little bit further back then. What year is it set in? Sorry. 87. 87. So he's Harry talking about the, continue he's about, about the stamps. stamps.
3: Harry, continue.
0: Harry no, there's him. total fucking silence. <laughs> we were talking about
4: can play at that game, smart well.
0: guy? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> right. Except uh, I back. do you think we,
2: we <laughs> did talk like, no about the stamps already. In. In yeah, without, I We, we always, did mention that. I think we did talk about the stamps. Yeah. Or I did. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, about the, how they're used as a character piece. About the final scene, specifically, where Norm is upset because he only won the three cent stamp. uh
1: and Marge says, you and, know,
3: people still And use he, stamps. Has, he has a rival, uh, a family, who are better at painting than he is. And, and he brings them up earlier in the movie. And then again, he says, they got the 50-cent stamp. Um, and he's feeling down on himself. And Marge has to talk him up and say, um, you know, people still use those stamps. Whenever they raise the postage on stamps, uh, people need to use that. And then she says, you know, we're doing pretty good, Norm. And she sort of, like, uh, holds her belly. And you get the sense that they're going to have a a bright future together because they're willing to be happy where they are and be the people that they are. And they they don't need more. They don't feel the the sort of crushing pressure to to be Mm -hmm. more than they think that they're supposed to be. They don't think they're supposed to be more than they are. Um, And that's sort of Marge's superpower in this Mm -hmm. movie, right, is that she doesn't understand the the sort of crushing pressures of egoism she literally says um, to uh, Peter Stormare's character at the end like there's more to life than a little bit of money and here you are and for what and then she looks out at the, the wasteland around her and says and it's a beautiful day and I just don't understand it. She says, I just don't understand why you could do these things, and why you would want to do these things. Because to her, being in, what is it? Is it Bemidji?
2: (laughs) Sure. Brainerd. Brainerd. Oh, Brainerd.
3: Is is paradise, right? Like, it is a beautiful day. It's a a good place to be, and, and she loves her husband, and that's Okay. Right um, there's one- She's great at her job. She's great at her yeah. job.
1: Better than literally everybody else. Yeah. Um, Which is
3: also like maybe because she's comfortable with it, like because she's happy with it. Like she doesn't feel like she has to do more or something, that she can just be good at what she's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I
2: love that scene where she's talking to him. Does that not close out the movie? Is that the very final it's scene? It's the second-to-last
3: scene. Okay. And then when she talks to her husband in bed, that's the last okay. scene. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, there is one scene in particular that I think doesn't derail that, but complements it in a really interesting way that I want to f- find out more about, and it's the Mikey on scene, mm-hmm. where uh, the setup is that Marge is called by an old classmate um, who had, you know, maybe an old flame potentially... Uh, and to meet in Minneapolis at the Radisson for lunch, just to catch up. She's also in town investigating this murder. (coughs) And, um, they meet, and he's clearly overeager. He's prepared, uh, in far nicer clothes, well, not nicer clothing, but he's prepared for something that she's not. But, like, in that scene particularly, she dresses up. She's like, you can see her kind of fussing over herself when Mm -hmm. she gets to the Radisson. Uh, and that is, like somewhat at odds. It's not like, oh, she's doling up for somebody who's not her husband, kind of like, oh, salacious. They're old
3: school friends, right? So yeah. So she wants to present a version of herself that's most favorable. Right. And,
2: and that, she's going into a fancier, presumably a fancier area, yeah. 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 A nice hotel good. in downtown yes. Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Versus, versus Brainerd. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But, like, t- to that extent, like, that is the first time in the movie we see her, like Harry said, be, like, desiring being something more than she is. Not just being completely comfortable what with what she is and who she is at that moment, she's like, pres- even when she goes to eat with her husband, she's still in like um, uh, uh, cop fatigues and stuff. I don't know. It's just a scene that, uh, especially the fallout from that scene, where we find out, of course, he's he says that his wife died of uh, cancer some years ago, and that um, you know she feels really bad for him, but that she's not you know looking for that. And then later we find out that he never had a wife; that he just stalked that woman that he was talking about for years. And that, Traffic's in you know,
3: some really upsetting stereotypes yeah. about Asian Americans. Not yeah, a great scene. Uh, really a, a tough one. Um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you saw it framed as her wanting to present something other than what she was. Um, I saw it as, as the sort of, like, massaging of the truth towards sort of, like, not, not lying, but, but presenting the best possible version um, I, w- I would characterize her as like fundamentally an optimist, and I mean optimist in like the, the strict definitional version, which is that like of all possible conclusions, this is the best one. I really think Marge operates that way, mm. and maybe doesn't by the end of the movie, which is the arc that we talked about. Um, but she has that ability, right? To to immediately um, like understand that about people, understand that like oh, this is the best version. Of your life story, and I'm going to believe that, and give you that ability to believe in that about yourself, right? Like she does a really good job of socially navigating that too, where like when Mike uh, comes over and puts his arm around her, and it's really creepy, she she asks him firmly uh, to go back to the other side, but then she says like, "Oh, I just want to be able to look at you. I just want to, uh, without having to crane my neck." Uh, and she mentions how she's pregnant, which again is she like,
1: navigates that scene really smoothly, right? And,
3: and like like with a with a really high degree of social competence, mm-hmm. right? And that social competence is really part and parcel to her character and she does it throughout when she's interrogating people and when she's um uh talking to her husband or talking to whoever she has this really great intuitive understanding of how to sort of navigate a social uh dynamic in order to make everyone feel comfortable. Yeah. And I that's like super Minnesota nice to me. Yeah. Uh, but
2: like authentically nice. Yeah. And like yeah, like you're saying, social so socially competent. All of her interviews read as like she's got this under control, you know, she's going to get what she needs from mm-hmm. from this.
3: But Jason, you, I'm sorry, Cody, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to
4: say, um, you know, we talked about how it's uh, so late before Marge actually enters the film and I think one of the the great reasons for that is, you know, we, we see the first half hour of this film is just balls, and like seeing how Marge interacts with these people, it's such an entirely different dynamic seeing her with Jerry Lundegaard, seeing her with Shep Proudfoot, um, seeing her with, who else did... The,
2: the other women thing. who sleep with Carl and the creator. Yeah, Maya favorite scene in the movie.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: that's all I have. Uh, I guess, for me, that's that scene with Mike is crucial, both for what happens before it and what happens after it, because of course, shortly thereafter, we find out that he was lying from a friend of, um, of Marge's, who says, you know, if she died, that woman, uh, was never his his wife and you know he's been having
3: mental problems they say right. psychiatric cool. issues oh is like, that what she says yeah I like psychiatric
4: <laughs> issues like an incredibly brazen reduction of that phrase and like right.
3: you see what they're going for right like he's another character at least on on my reading and I, I hate to keep smashing you guys with this reading but like he's twisted by his ego right like he wants to be a different person than he is uh, because he's living with his parents and he never got to be with the woman he loved and so he stalked her and now he he's sort of a serial stalker and now he's started stalking marge and trying to sort of like sell this idea of himself because he hates the idea of who he is so much and so like he's another man warped by mm-hmm. it, wanting mm-hmm. to be something else
2: just in a different way than the other men yeah. that have issues in this film and Marge solves a lot, like you're saying, after she has this interaction. It seems like she's thinking about it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Does she? I can't There's remember. Big, does she talk to her husband about him as well as after friend. they meet?
1: I believe it's a... Friend. I don't think no, she it's, ever talks it. to no. She never mentions directly to him to, to Norm that uh, that you know she's back in contact with Mike. That Mike's mm-hmm. been calling. That she's going to go see Mike, which is not like
3: it felt like another competent social yeah. uh, navigation. Like me. why
1: would you bother like worrying him with this if you were confident about the interaction? If you were confident, to, if you're both very secure in your relationship mm-hmm. and like you know this person is just an old friend. It's it, yeah. it goes a long way toward developing that character. But to what, to, to what Emily was about to say, I believe. Um, regarding like how she then approaches her next interview with Jerry. She's been lied to by Jerry about uh, his role in this. Like, Because they've identified that the, one of the cars that the uh, two murderers used to get away was a car from his lot. And he says, you know, no cars are missing. And then she comes back after she finds out that Mike lied. Immediately after, right? It's the next scene she's this in. This was a really
3: brilliant point you made to me yesterday. do
1: uh, brilliant. I'm too Minnesota nice for that. <laughs> uh, she, she, she then like goes back presses him harder uh, she's not smarter she's still like just a very incredibly smart detective she just has like she's dropped the facade of believing the best about jerry right about, there's a about shift anybody. There
3: where she is fundamentally an optimist before and then maybe her experience with uh mike Yanagita makes that shift you think where now she she interrogates uh william h macy and she's she's more willing to look past the story that he's feeding her Mm -hmm. and he barely feeds her a story at all he's really bad at this yeah but uh but and and she can sort of brace him a little bit and, and try to get answers out of him that way in a much firmer sequence than we've seen her up to that point right where before when she's when she's navigating socially even when she has to disagree with somebody she does it in the socially sort of like nicest way possible in the in the gentlest way possible but again it works in that like that was the right approach to take and mm-hmm. so i wonder it's interesting because like i wonder if that was her learning in a, in a character arc where she was like i am now more willing to or more capable of seeing past the best possible scenario
2: or i, th- I think that's the whole point of the mike character yeah, yeah. sure yeah. otherwise he could be taken out of the movie right and like it's not necessarily needed as a storyline you yeah. don't need him it's funny. But like as far as her looking back on it telling her friend then she's kind of thinking about the characters in a different yeah that's the a really people good people in a different frame yeah, it's funny
1: to think about how that scene is i believe maybe the most important in the movie mm-hmm. to the actual like development of marge and like and harry harry's smack <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but it also could like uh if it didn't like otherwise like like emily's saying I'm it just could, could just like solely not exist like she yeah. could just like have a moment of re- revelation uh and that's the
3: fulcrum of her character yeah right? I, I yeah and that's I, a really l- good point. I,
1: I love that that happens like because by the time that we get around to her next interview with jerry she's not i think if it were more along the lines of what harry's saying uh she might like drop. let me just explain that in that scene where she's interviewing jerry for the second time and calling him out on his bullshit she's not like i know that some cars came from this lot she's still approaching it in a very minnesotan way like you want to mind like checking those again are you sure that something didn't happen and then like in a very super, like, anti-Minnesotan way, sits down and then says, you don't mind if I sat down, right? Like, well, that's she's the most Minnesotan
0: shit yeah. ever, dude. Carrying like, oh, the load here. like, oh, you wouldn't mind here. if I do this thing that I know you mind, but I'm going to do it, right, and but instead you don't, don't she mind. She quite very, the load here. She's yeah. not doing
3: it for it, <laughs> so exactly. She says that
1: twice in both scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's not doing it to, like... Uh, put an air of social competence forward anyway she's doing it to achieve a very specific goal which is getting jerry to admit he lied
3: right and she always used that social navigation um and an optimistic um approach to uh self-determination and in her willingness to give that to people towards ends but we see that develop over time Mm -hmm. where in my opinion um this isn't the end of her character arc post yanagita I think the end of the movie is is the end um, hmm. of her character arc because I think that she eventually comes to understand what she was doing consciously. Where her "I can't understand it" line um, to Peter Stormare's character is like maybe a little bit ironic, or like maybe not entirely intentional. Because I think that this movie is is like her fun, like learning. That she can understand it maybe for the first time Hmm. and understanding that what she was doing before being an optimist and allowing other people the opportunity to recreate the best version of themselves sort of socially was the right way to approach life and believing in that version of people is the right way to to sort of be successful but she she wasn't doing that consciously before and i think now she is now I she's got these i think that's the arc of her character right is she finds out that optimism is something you can
1: choose exactly she's now got like an on off switch for it it in seems some like respects. It.
2: so in saying i just don't understand maybe she's saying more so i just cannot believe this like that, you guys have gone to such great lengths to cause all this destruction yeah or like yes. I'm, so many I'm choosing lives. Yeah.
3: not to like that's not a, a something that I want to understand mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah he
1: looks like I just wiped shit on his upper lip go Me? ahead and, yeah say Harry or Aaron uh Aaron, Aaron. I always look like
0: that yeah I mean <laughs> Harry does look like that but I also look that's like <laughs> just that. the way my facial hair grows uh, right. thanks Jason yeah I, I used to when I was first few times I saw this I really hated that scene with uh Mike Yanagita. and I still I still dislike it for I think it is it does reinforce some pretty negative stereotypes about Asian Americans. It takes men, a lot of shortcuts. Asian men.
1: Yeah, that aren't um, worth taking.
0: Yeah, it, it's not great. Uh, this movie's portrayal of the only Native American character isn't necessarily great oh, as well. He's, right. the, he's um, the big
1: angry Native American man who speaks in monosyllabic. Yeah, it's a terrible representation. Yeah, it's those are good.
2: the only two people of color in the m- whole movie, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: There are no women of color in this movie. It would have been great, I think. Isn't? I'm pretty sure that's true.
2: Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's only um, if, if there are, they're not The two notices. characters. Yeah. Yeah. it would have been
3: nice. Uh, yeah. like this this is a very anti-men movie. Like this is like I guess to put the Well, not
2: anti-men, out, but like anti-toxic uh, masculinity. <laughs>
1: fuck,
3: <Yeah>. fuck masculinity. <laughs> um yeah, but like like this is basically <laughs> saying that the whole history of of violence and
0: death can be traced back to male ego.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
3: Insecurity, yeah. essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: it,
2: exactly. Um, Aaron, so I,
0: I was going to say, so I made, a, I made a, a shortcut to a point at the beginning of this that Harry rightfully called me out on when I said that that one of the main themes of this movie was this evil moving into this kind of innocent town. I was an asshole about it though I apologize for that. uh, Well so I maybe should have clarified myself a little better. I, I think that that it's not necessarily that Minnesota or the Midwest here is necessarily innocent, but that our general attitude towards stuff is is markedly different from maybe east and west coast, even in regard to how crime is typically portrayed um, in movies, uh, you know, kind of like L.A. crime movies, New York kind of gritty hard-boiled detective stuff. Um, the, the... I think there, there is this kind of main thematic element that does tie into Marge's character of this kind of innocence being broken and that Marge is, it's not that Marge is like has not faced violence before there's the scene where she is at the the crime scene and she just immediately she looks into a car where there's a dead body and she's like oh yeah there's a dead body in there
3: she says know. that's a shame at one point which is hilarious Such like, yeah. he, he
1: looks like a nice enough guy she's what looking shame. at a
3: domed cop like he's lying out in a fucking snowfield, yeah. and his brains are all over the place and he's like wow what a shame he Yeah, looks like a nice guy it's like <laughs> fuck well man. cause
2: Marge is the character that understands the extent of destruction yeah right so like, it's
1: clear
0: that she is she is obviously dealt with murder and violence and homicide before um but that sh- she is not maybe fully understanding like the truly evil intentions or just like rotten core behind that kind of violence right
3: that's that's what i was saying is that like she she actually is an optimist unconsciously
0: yeah. right And yeah, a lot of the characters are too there's a scene where a cop uh, approaches a person in a driveway who's like kind of shoveling some snow uh and the guy called in about um uh, who is the character Steve Buscemi's character um, approaching him at a bar and like saying like you know I've killed people before and it's a conversation between this cop and this guy who's just doing some kind of daily chores and it's the same kind of naive I uh, think, understanding of the I think that optimism world. is like the fundamental
3: characterization of the midwest that the cones are going for you, yeah. right?
0: same thing with the, the simple man i think uh, it's like this, this notion
3: man. um again sorry to keep coming back to this and uh sorry if i'm cutting you off but like of, of like there there being several different narratives that that a person could put forward and the sort of social contract we have maybe specifically in the midwest to to, uh, to give the person the chance to construct the most favorable one. Um, that's sort of like to self-define as positively or optimistically as possible and, and there being this social obligation that we have to allow them that um, and that being something that Frances McDormand's character does unconsciously at first and then I think in her uh, in this movie her arc is sort of about learning to do that but pointedly and understanding why that's important um and understanding that there are those other (laughs) narratives right that it's not always the case that Mm -hmm. like the way that we present ourselves isn't always true um
0: yeah i would agree i I think i get the feeling that the cohen brothers are um maybe not entirely hateful towards minnesota and minnesota nice um but maybe find it extremely funny um yeah, I get I get this very playful feelings, even playful feeling even from a lot of their more violent films. Um, a a serious man, which I brought up earlier, is also I believe set in Minnesota. I think it may be set in St. Louis. Filmed in Rochester. Park.
3: It was filmed in St. Louis Park.
0: It? it was not
3: filmed in Rochester. Uh, the daughter
4: of the family. Um, the main family in this area, I mean, it was all over the papers for like a yeah. month, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's from Rochester. Okay. Did
3: you go to school with her?
4: Uh, she was at a different high school. Cody's from Rochester.
1: My co-worker Logan is from Rochester, and I think he said the that that girl was his neighbor? Oh, nice. I my uh, shout-out to Logan, by the way. My
0: German teacher in college was the, uh, the university chair. Joel Cohen
3: is my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Marge is Cohen. my mom.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I am Steve Buscemi. I am is, that Steve Steve is that
2: how you pronounce Buscemi. Your name? Uh, Buscemi. Uh,
0: that famous scene from Marvel. I That guy's kind of oh, funny Peter, oh, looking. Jr. Says <laughs> I am Steve Buscemi.
2: You you guys mean the uh, funny looking guy?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think you
3: funny <laughs> how? Uh, just funny in general.
0: That's in general a sense, yeah. That's such a good gag Cause in, honestly, Steve Buscemi uh, is kind of funny looking. I mean, let's be honest. He's here. pretty funny I looking. I thought that
2: was a really funny gag. It is true. The Cohens called Carl and Gear yeah. knuckleheads. <laughs> uh, <that's fantastic. laughs> Which I think is a great uh, to the point reading of the two yep. of them. It gives
1: them like a very Laurel and Hardy type connotation. How... <laughs> um-
3: Utterly midwestern. Also, I think I was called a knucklehead about ten thousand times before I turned ten years old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and to call a two like serial murderers knuckleheads,
0: right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> like almost too nice of a reading. Nice. But I, I think the
0: Coen uh, brothers do have like a they they owe a lot to like slapstick comedy and like cartoons, like old oh, sure. style cartoons. It's very obvious in Buster Scruggs. Um But a lot, even a lot of their more violent films, like the violence, as we mentioned earlier, is very slapstick people getting bonked over the head with shit um
3: uh at one point he's trying to cram steve buscemi's leg down the uh (laughs) um
2: the wood chipper
3: wood chipper as peter stormier is doing this and he can't do it so he picks up a log and starts trying to bludgeon the leg down into the wood chipper
1: with the the
2: most gruesome death in the movie
1: it's, it, it's funny though, right? Because like it's jamming, and he's having trouble with it, and Marge screams twice at him, like "Stop or I'll shoot, police!" And he's just not noticing. You well, he can't hear <laughs> <laughs> over the sound of the bones yeah. grinding in his wood chipper. And the really reason
2: he's killing his f- like, no, not his friend, but his partner in crime in the first place is because Buscemi insulted him, right? And he insulted his masculine ego, and, and he now right. puts him through a wood chipper. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah uh yeah Peter stormier's character is fascinating in this movie uh his his obsession with television is really telling I feel like um television is like a big motif in this movie also a big motif in this movie is food I think we see Marge eat like
0: 12 full meals in this movie yeah that that is accurate to the midwest I mean
2: do we want to give a shout out to
0: the Arby's. Arby, <laughs> please. Oh, you're pancake, getting Arby's uh, all over. I was going to say the, the Arby's reference is good, but the pancake, the, uh, the oh, pancake house God. reference. I
4: think pancake pancake's house. Does really yeah. he say pancake that's house? That's at the or very beginning. He says,
1: he
0: says, no, it's pan- we're go- pancake house.
1: Pancake's house. Pan- <laughs> <laughs> dude, <laughs>
4: guy, uh, Peter Stormer had 18 lines in this movie. At least half of them were <laughs> about pancakes. Yeah.
2: They are yeah. all he, iconic. i He originally read it differently. He read it as pancake house, and they made him redo it because they said there's no spelling errors in this in this God, entire script amazing. we wrote it that's on amazing. purpose <laughs>
3: so it was pancakes house
1: I love that
3: so also peter stormer shout out to peter stormer that do rules great in this movie
2: a, a 12th shout out uh of mine to the bonus content yes what, what, what was, was that no i wasn't going to do it
0: <laughs>
1: um so we're getting at a little bit of what i another thing that i like to ask about groups or like a film in long filmographies and it's what do you see in this movie that either appeared in other Cohen films, like that was refined in other in future films, or that like you saw the seeds of in earlier films? For reference, this was their sixth, I think, movie, uh, preceded by Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, and the Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah.
0: And I've they're most critically acclaimed up until No Country for Old Men. I have like a really
2: qu- Oh sorry. There you go. I have a really quick answer to that as a Cohen newbie um based on what Francis McDermott was saying but she th- she thinks the visual landscape of this kind of worked towards their more black and white aesthetic later on mm. um and it's very like she mentioned which is my favorite shot in the movie the overhead shot of the parking lot where Same, he walks yeah, across wow. what it's a so shot beautiful that is. and geometric um and yeah she was just saying it kind of she thinks it was working towards more of their and, and also that's
3: like that's a car that's like sort of skidded out and we can see the the, um, the skid marks skid yeah marks. and that's like exactly blood Simple. like that exact mm-hmm. shot is in Blood symbol. when
1: he's going over the cornfields yeah. to bury the body yeah
0: is that the shot where he's park, is that the shot where the violence has occurred or is that the shot where he's parking it's before going into the Before he's with,
1: scraping the, yeah, after he's he, been yeah. told no to the deal that he's trying no. to get to. And Stan. he does
0: the biggest
3: Midwestern mood of the entire movie, which is he gets out his ice scraper and he's so mad that he starts beating the shit out of his car yeah. with it, but then he stops and he has to keep scraping <laughs> off the rest of the car. Man, wow, what a mood that is. Like, I've gotten there every single winter since living here in Minnesota.
2: <laughs> so visually I would say, I'd say that it's similar to the uh, sorry now i lost my train of thought i fuck. i agree with that. <laughs> can i say the word fuck on this yeah. podcast listen can this we, fuck cast? Uh, vote by <laughs> nope, show of hands
1: nope. fuck can we
2: fuck uh, but yeah. yeah as someone who's only seen big lebowski and man who wasn't there in this movie i'd say there's goofy characters i which come across in their other films that this other two that i've seen mm-hmm. um the visual landscape thing and then uh, just tons of bloodshed, which seems to be their thing.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. Both movies you've seen. This is the earliest Coen Brothers movie you've ah. seen, then I think. Okay. So like, that's that's. It's really interesting that you actually see stuff follow through. That's probably
3: the Coen to codifier, right?
0: Like, this is their like prototypical. But, yeah. This is the most representative.
3: I
1: to. I wanted that to get yeah. in That's session. interesting. But maybe we should get into it, like just quick. Should if nobody had if 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 somebody has never seen a single Coen Brothers film and didn't want to know like the best one or whatever but the one they should start with would anybody here not recommend Fargo as the first one to start with no I wouldn't start with it yeah me either
0: no let's start with why? Big Lebowski this is the most popular I would start ones. with Blood Simple. Simple why not start from the top I mean, if, you, if you're talking to a person who you're recommending Blood Simple to they've already seen Coen Brothers movies <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean
1: you're probably <laughs> right I mean, like, if they're...
2: Probably if, depends on the person. Yeah, <laughs> Emily's okay. seen fucking Blood Simple. She's seen Big Lebowski? I, the first one I saw was Big Lebowski. That's got to be the when most did, popular, right? When, Besides was it Fargo? college,
1: or when
0: did you see Big Lebowski? Saw it in college. Yeah. I mean, it's a stoner film. Yeah, it is a very yeah. college.
4: I would probably say Fargo. Maybe that's just because I'm not super high on Big Lebowski. Maybe yeah. deserve nice. yeah, Ooh, it deserves a rewatch. Ooh, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, Fargo is probably what
3: I would
1: well i'm just thinking i mean all of their films have well most of their films have like that mix of funny and goofy and violent mm-hmm. and dark man just but go like,
3: serious man just fucking jump in wow like,
1: into the st louis park dry deep end
3: actually that's definitely their most demonstrative
0: film
1: right uh deals if, with jewish identity yeah yeah if, yeah, if yeah, not, not the yes. most accessible then yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, I fargo's the
3: de- definitely the best recommendation though for sure.
1: I I hate to pretend like I've actually worked everybody around to my point of view. So like, are, are, is there any like great example, great reason you could say that that's not true? I just think like it's it's the best balance of everything. It doesn't have the best humor. It doesn't have the best darkness. It doesn't have the best like dialogue. But it just is a great balance of all those things. That if you watch any Home Brothers film before or after it, you're going to be able to pick up on. No you know. what
2: to expect. I would I would say it's probably a pretty good one to start you. with. Eric, as, someone is,
0: dis- as someone who has Why seen going to drop it every coen brothers movie
1: really uh, holy shit uh,
0: i think it's it is kind of the maybe the safe boring answer for like their with air quotes best film um i don't think it's my favorite film of theirs but it is it is so representative of what the coen brothers are about and it's also um there are other movies of theirs that i that i think have higher highs but this movie is just again with some representation issues um very consistent all the way through um yeah it's masterful it Um, it is you're kind of feeling all watching it especially some of the writing the writing is so quick in the early scenes of this movie um and you're just immediately like oh i'm watching a very good movie um i think i
3: always look for because i'm a huge nerd but uh like (laughs) any scenes where two people are just in a car and all they can do is talk to each other um that's like make or break for writing and this movie has fucking incredible you're in a car with another person that, Talk
1: scenes The carl and gayer scene where he's where they're approaching the twin cities and he's like have you ever been to the twin cities he's like no <laughs> jesus that's the first words you said in four hours yeah. he's like you want it you'll get it silent treatment absolutely no, no words we're not going to talk and he's like good like five beats fast and he's like total silence yeah,
3: um, i wanted to i'm sorry go back to your question about uh sort of cohen things that that um
1: Mm -hmm. that
3: are common among all uh i talked about this a little bit before but i would characterize the cohen brothers the cohen cinematic universe as like a fallen paradise uh theme sort of continued um over and over again i think almost all of them what are you doing what (laughs) thank you Someone sorry, I'm trying to, to turn charge my phone. I'm an Android oh, I'm person. Sorry. I'm I an Android like, person. There's just like a whole... <laughs>
4: Excuse me, I'm making a point here. Well, I, uh, sorry. We were like well, did back we, and we forth. invite <laughs> Nick
1: Grossman to this podcast? <laughs> shout shout out, out to Nick. We, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Nick. Shout, shout out to, to Nick. Nick. Shout out to Nick. Fallen fall what did you say? Mind. No, no, nice. because I'm trying to think of I like... I want you to finish it.
3: I was going
0: to I was gonna piggyback off that.
3: I didn't actually... use Okay, so I'm just... Uh, yeah, all of their movies are about what happens when God abandons the Earth uh, in the sort of, like, classical existentialist... What is that a Camus reference? Or uh, who said that? That
0: God's abandoned Earth and we're all, like, lost and in, in looking for Cam- a- Camus said, like, the silence of God. I don't know about God abandoning. Sure. I mean, but
3: but this, these are movies
0: about what happens when we're in a world that doesn't
3: provide any answers and like what, what can we look for we're going to talk about the man who wasn't there and like that movie is obsessed with this idea um i think the fargo is too it's, it's about like like what happens when you're fundamentally unhappy with who you are uh yeah which is like what makes this movie pretty tough to watch right uh and, like, maybe why I don't like it as much as I should, but, like, there's a whole
1: thing. <laughs> very hubristic.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think this movie is maybe easy. The Coen brothers are kind of known for very uh, unconventional endings, or endings that maybe don't give you the nice little bow wrapped up that you want. I think this movie kind of does that, even though there's some darker stuff near the end, and it obviously. Doesn't end up with everybody in a happy place, um, but I think this movie ends very well. Um, even even like the Big Lebowski, I remember the first time I saw that when it ended, I was like, "What the fuck?" Is there yeah. not another ten minutes here?
1: Yeah. Um, so it's different in that way, but um, yeah, yeah. Anybody else have lingering thoughts about Fargo? Yeah, um, I know we were talking
4: about kind of the absence of non-white men characters. Um, Jerry's wife, I think her name is Jean. Um, what do we all think of her? I thought she nailed the like the accent better than pretty much anyone. It
1: was it was both overblown and very well managed, right? Like she could have broken it in how she was kind of overdoing it because it's the most heavily like stereotypically Minnesotan, like always high, always vowel shifted. Uh, I well,
2: yeah. Lundegaard's wife. Yeah, yeah. What
1: did I didn't you think? Feel of her? great
2: about her character?
1: Neither. I didn't. I don't know why, but I didn't. It like. She was killed it off treats clean, first her, of all. Or, yes, that's it, a problem. What? They she,
2: treat her a little bit oh, like yes. too dumb of a Minnesotan yep. housewife, yeah. um, and then she's just whisked away into the crime scene. Yeah. Spends
4: over half of her role in the movie with a bag on her head and silent. Yeah, well. this is
3: a uh, famous feminist movie by dudes that spends a lot of time making fun of women like a lot of time making fun of women
1: well they had to give us one really really strong great female character and then just like to balance (laughs) it out we gotta have we gotta play both sides they
2: didn't have to do that (laughs) right (laughs) but they did do that i forgot about i honestly forgot about that character i had a lot of issues with her on screen
1: well she's almost when she's not being tortured or kidnapped she's cooking
2: Sure, she's watching a dumb TV show and like I don't. There's knitted. no character really there. It's just like she's yeah. this blank she's like housewife, a good mom, which
3: is kind of cool. Uh, but her is that shown? Is like, yeah, a little bit. I, not much. You're her right. son's
0: doing bad in school, and she's like, "Oh, you're okay. right. She doesn't want him to play student, hockey, but you're getting
2: teased."
3: Yeah. But, but it is too. sort of that funny, kooky, like look at how silly these people Mm -hmm. are the condescension that we were talking about that's definitely personified a lot in her Mm -hmm. Um, also man fuck that scene with the two prostitutes um, the sex worker scene where she's uh marge is interrogating two sex workers and they're like dumb blondes and literally they're just dumb blondes and the movie is thinks it's so fucking funny that these sex workers are dumb like literally there's a the moment the scene ends almost with marge francis mcdormand looking at the camera and rolling her eyes like the fucking rock uh anyway like eyebrow another scene that's, like just yeah. such a fucking huge bummer
2: yeah uh, i yes. forgot about that too
3: um yeah I don't know I, I think that, that the first time I watched this I'm while we're ending on a weird hour note uh, I feel like I've been um, sort of an asshole during this podcast but like maybe that's alright because I uh, relate to Steve Buscemi really. <laughs> uh, the sort
1: of
3: like pathetic asshole character um, but yeah like, like I don't know I, I think that like like telling people to be comfortable where they are and be comfortable who they are is such a fucking unhelpful statement to make Um, That's, like, that's the ignorant problem I have with that formulation of Zen Buddhism that I talked about earlier, is that just, like, simply don't hate yourself (laughs) is, like, such a, like condescending thing to say especially when you're the coen brothers and you're so monumentally talented that you made movies when you were 19 so that you could become millionaires and move away from minnesota and never come back now you're gonna make movies about how actually it's okay to just live in minnesota it's like go fuck yourself man like i want to be in california making movies too uh but yeah you know i'm gonna bring the wasteland with me wherever i go because it
1: lives inside me Um, Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> I mean, I really did want to leave the floor open. We any any other anybody else? We don't script this, so <laughs>
4: if you couldn't tell. Um, um, one detail that is kind of fun, if you make
1: a fucking suicide. Squad joke, I mean, this time I
4: will not. Um, this time, I'm just gonna scribble out this note real quick. Uh, one detail to try. It kind of culminates in. Carl showalter uh, on this uh, on the phone with Jerry Lundegard uh, and he you know Steve saying he's pretty pissed by now um, he's got an initiative kicked out of him he's been shot at um, actually not at this point but in, in any case he uh, says uh, circumstances have changed you know by acts of God and um, and everything leading up to that point is just because he forgot to put tags on the car's license plates. <laughs> oh, like, think about what would have happened if he just had done that. They would have been stopped by the police.
1: It's also there's a line that uh, Carl uses several times in the movie, and he's like, "I'm not going to debate Jerry. I'm not fucking debating." And then he goes on to like debate really? for Good two, three You're minutes. Be,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like absolutely just a dude who who definitely thinks he deserves better than he has, right? Like, he really thinks think he, he should be a millionaire. But he sabotages
1: life. himself. Yeah. almost every turn. Like, he brings everything on himself.
3: Right. Mostly because he just can't stand being talked down to, uh, which is another huge... By the movie. ticket
1: taker. By, anybody, booth, by like, any sort of bureaucracy. By Gene's or dad.
3: Yeah. Uh, who else talks down to him? Gene's dad, the, the ticket booth, everybody's fucking... The cop, to an extent. That is this dude yeah. around. That is, um, as the person in
4: this film who is most markably the one without that Minnesotan accent, um, and again, to bring up the TV series, that's kind of a recurring thing with the characters uh, who are very distinctly not from this region. Um, And I guess Harry, kind of going back to what you had said about everybody's wanting to get out that's even more present with those who are very much not native to this space. It's like we are Coming in and probably condescendingly so above those who are, are coming in and you know are opposing us in, in some kind of way. They're um, going
3: crazy yeah. out there at the lake. <laughs> <laughs>
4: exactly, they are going crazy out there at the lake.
1: <laughs> Was that white curly? <laughs> I think it was closer to Moose Lake, so I was making that assumption.
2: <laughs> There's so many references to Minnesota suburbs. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite
1: part about what First, first time I watched this movie was 2013, 14. Before I like visited the Twin Cities, hmm. and then this is my second time watching it. And my favorite thing, like experientially, about the movie is like knowing where they're talking about when they say Edina and YZ and yeah. Jen, I'm like, yeah, I know where those places are now.
4: The um, conversation that Jerry Wade and uh, Grossman have uh, at that one establishment. There's a shot of them out there's a shot of them outside and there's the uh, Park Place Xenia exit sign in the background, mm-hmm. which is I fucking take that stretch to the uh, shout out to the showplace icon Ooh. in St. Louis Park. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, I lost shout the, us to the
3: tri-on Also tra- <laughs>
4: shout out to the on where we did not see this movie because he was playing at, at, the at, the at the Heights Road show. To the heights. Um anyway, I got very animated. That's yeah.
3: it, it, it yeah. I love seeing those too.
4: Yeah.
1: I love seeing my building in the background of that parking garage scene. There's that, that like, a, right there's that tower of just you see across the way in that. There's like the establishing shot of that scene. There's this like T-shaped Teen Titans ass-looking like structure. You can see that outside. It's like, I, I, I'm crazy for that kind of shit. I, I've never lived in places where like cool things happen or movies are shot. So living here, seeing welcome that's to Minnesota. This. Thanks.
3: yeah and like i think to go back to uh your like big question uh which is like why is this movie set in minnesota or in fargo um it's ultimately it's about a triumph of that social nicety that that we would characterize we like to characterize ourselves as right about the idea that like uh social engagements are about optimism it's about seeing the uh um what people are doing with their own sort of self-definition and giving them the opportunity to choose the best version of themselves and and having the sort of grace to allow them to um, represent themselves. And to figure that out, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, that's that, I think, is what the Coens are suggesting is fundamentally sort of Midwestern, and I think that they're coming down on that positively. So I think this is ultimately like a a Minnesota celebrating movie. Um, I just find it a little bit condescending because of... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Personal <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Great,
2: great point to Man, end. Yeah, that's on. a spot to Frances McDermott <laughs> is a blessing. Yeah. She's she the star best of the show. For this, I mean. And yeah. she won Best Actress. That's awesome.
1: And then 25 years later, she went on to be in the single worst movie I've ever seen. Which is? Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri.
3: Ah, how could we not? not
2: <laughs> but she's gonna... amazing in this film. And she's
3: amazing in general. Yes. Anyways,
2: Fargo, check it out. Shout out to Francis <laughs> At a Theater near you.
3: And check out, check out
2: the Minnesota Nice documentary on the DVD.
4: Francis McDormand, if you're ever in the area, feel free to come on the podcast. We'd love to have you.
2: We'll take you out to the Radisson downtown.
4: It's pretty good. Yeah, so you know it's good. <laughs>